1: Here we go. Episode 416 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Friday, October 7th, 2022. Did you watch the Thursday nighter? It was a game that set the NFL back about 50 years. The Indianapolis Colts won at the Denver Broncos 12-9 in overtime. Yes, 12-9 was the final score in overtime. First game in NFL regular season history in which two opposing quarterbacks each had at least 250 passing yards with neither team scoring a touchdown. Uh, The two teams, a combined six for 31 on third downs. The joke about how bad this Thursday nighter was versus how bad the next Thursday nighter commanders at the Chicago Bears will be were everywhere. But, you know, if you are a commanders fan... Uh, It was impossible to watch Colts Broncos and not think about the starting quarterbacks in the game, right? The Colts. Matt Ryan, who some were so certain would be so much better for the Colts than current Commanders quarterback Carson Wentz was last season. The Broncos, Russell Wilson, who the Commanders this past offseason tried to acquire via trade with the Seattle Seahawks, but he and the Hawks preferred the Broncos, and so the Commanders ended up pivoting to trade for Carson. Both Matt Ryan and Russell Wilson have been subpar. So far this season. And yes, Carson has been subpar over his last two games. But consider this Matt Ryan now in the 2022 regular season has 11 fumbles. Most fumbles by any NFL player through five games in a regular season since the 1970 NFL AFL merger. And Ryan now in the 2022 regular season has seven interceptions. Carson went for the entirety of the 2021 regular season had seven interceptions. All of the talk in Indy about how much better off the Colts are with Matt Ryan as opposed to Carson Wentz. Uh, yeah. <laughs> how is that working out? Hello and welcome to a Football Friday installment of the Al Goldie podcast. Is Carson Wentz going to play better in this Sunday afternoon's game against the Tennessee Titans at FedEx Field at 1. Then Matt Ryan has been playing for the Colts. Uh, Gee, I hope so. Uh, We need that. Ahead on the show, in-depth preview of the 1-3 and Commanders versus the two and two titans Uh, i have the very latest on injuries and who could be in and who could be out next segment i'll talk commander's offense off comments from offensive coordinator scott turner at his weekly post-practice press conference on thursday afternoon including scott addressing what a lot of us have been wondering this week to what extent does carson wentz have the freedom to call audibles Uh, you'll also hear scott Address the potential for running back Brian Robinson Jr. to make his NFL regular season debut in this game against the Titans, despite having been shot multiple times a little more than a month ago. And you'll hear Scott address the potential for the Commanders to be without two of their top three receivers for this game. I'll then talk Commanders defense off comments from defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio at his weekly post-practice press conference on Thursday afternoon. Uh, Jack discussed corner William jackson the third of his three penalty performance in the 25 10 loss at the dallas cowboys this past sunday afternoon uh jack also got into the play of the commander's defensive line I Have a special guest to talk titans a titans insider paul kaharski of Outkick360 and PaulKaharski.com. I have my rhyming keys for a commander's win over the Titans, and I have a prediction for the game. Also on the show, college football. Goldilocks for week six of the college football season. Previews and picks for Maryland, home to Purdue, Saturday at noon. Virginia Tech at Pitt, Saturday afternoon at 3.30. Virginia, home to Louisville, Saturday at noon. And Navy, home to Tulsa, Saturday afternoon at 3.30. By the way, Way Goldilocks last week a sparkling four and oh we have a saying for that Snoop Dogg don't we? Make money, money, make money, money, money. Yes, sir. Thank you. I uh, do not forget to give this podcast a five star rating on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. And if you are really feeling generous, please write a brief review saying that you like the podcast. You can do that on Apple Podcasts. And thank you for doing the ratings. And the reviews. You can tweet me at Algaldi. You can email me, the podcast at Yahoo.com. Tweet from James, and the tweet includes a photo of what looks like the screen of his son's cell phone. And the wallpaper is a Commander's Burgundy W with a gold background. Writes, James, not sure what I did to my son, but I picked him up from school, and this was his surprise to me. Rooting for Daddy's team. A huge part of me wants to tell him to bail, like the Titanic, women and children first. I can't bail. He can. Uh, Thank you for the tweet, James. Great tweet. And no, have him be a Commanders fan. Have him suffer, as you, James, have suffered for years like the rest of us. Email from Stanley Evans on Commanders head coach Rod Rivera. Rod, Stanley, we're in the third year Of the Rivera era. Somehow we seem significantly worse. I thought that a team is supposed to be hitting its stride by year three. We still seem lost and confused on how to block and cover and still struggle with the fundamentals. A team by year three should have an identity. Our identity seems to be excuse making. My personal opinion is that this falls on the whole coaching staff, particularly Ron. Without Cam Newton's MVP season, Rivera is a nice, respectable guy who is what he is, an average coach. And I question to say coach because it looks like he's not coaching anything. What I want to know is, can I please get the soundbite from your boy, Ric Flair? What's causing all this? Have a great weekend, Goldie. Uh, Thank you, Stanley. Much appreciated. And yes, as the nature boy, Ric Flair would say.
2: And we always want to know one thing: what's cause of all this?
1: Thank you, Nate. Always great to hear from Nate. Email from Jim D on Rod Rivera versus other NFC East head coaches. Boy, Don Ron has been taking a pummeling via tweets and emails on this podcast this week. Writes Jim D, the Dallas Cowboys year three with Mike McCarthy, the New York Giants year one with Brian Dable, the Philadelphia Eagles year two with Nick Sirianni, the Washington Commanders year three with Ron Rivera. And yet, Cowboys three and one, Giants three and one, Eagles four and oh, Commanders, one in three. We are just a broken mess right now. The entire staff needs to be out of here by the end of this season. We have too much talent on the roster to be underperforming like this. The players need the modern game breathed into them. Thank you for the email, Jim. Uh, let us see what happens the rest of this season. I am not ready to declare Rod Rivera. As Washington head coach, a complete failure. He is in the process of failing, but I am not ready to say that he is a certified failure as Washington head coach. I am not ready to declare that Ron needs to be fired, but no doubt things are bad right now and things need to be a lot better. And I do wonder about the commanders in an NFL that now is filled with young head coaches with offensive backgrounds, having an older head coach with a defensive background. Like you talk about having (laughs) the antithesis of the overall trend in the NFL right now. Uh, That is what the commanders have. Well, if you have a case, you know what you should do, right? Contact Paulson and Nace. No law firm does a better job of fighting for victims than Paulson and Nace does. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. and Nace handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Polson and Nace is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments both in And out of courtrooms, Uh, Chris Nace and Matt Nace—they are dedicated trial attorneys who do not balk in the face of large insurance companies or well-known businesses that have had practices or products that are directly related to the root of your harm. You see, Holson and Nace does not accept low settlement offers that benefit the people who caused clients harm more than the offers benefit the clients, and this is because Holson and Nace is not afraid to take a case to trial, and that's because Holson and Nace wins trials. Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families. Heck, take a case that was just concluded. Paulson and Nace in July won a case for which the United States government was paid nearly 1.8%. Eight million dollars. This to a former American University field hockey player because of a military doctor's failure to diagnose and treat the student for a 2011 concussion that left her with permanent symptoms. Uh, You may have heard about this. Paulson and Nace defeated the U.S. government. Uh, Again, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wrong but aren't sure— call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yet you're obligated to nothing. Call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Holson and Nace, if you're the case, contact Holson and Nace. Well, Thursday's Commander's Injury Report for this Sunday afternoon's game against the Tennessee Titans at FedEx Field at 1 was exactly the same as Wednesday's Commander's Injury Report for the game. That's good news for the Commander's defense. More on that next segment but this is not so good news for the commander's offense receiver Jahan Dodson on Thursday did not practice for a second consecutive day due to this hamstring injury that he suffered in the 25-10 loss at the Dallas Cowboys this past Sunday afternoon receiver Curtis Samuel on Thursday did not practice for a second consecutive day due to illness right tackle Samuel Cosme on Thursday. Did not practice for a second consecutive day due to a finger injury. Uh, remember, we on Tuesday afternoon had multiple reports that Cosme underwent thumb surgery on Tuesday. Timetable for a return to be determined. Head coach Ron Rivera, during his post practice press conference on Wednesday afternoon, confirmed that Cosme underwent hand surgery and that his timetable for a return was TBD. Also, left tackle Charles Leno Jr. on Thursday was a limited participant in practice for a second consecutive day due to this shoulder ailment uh, with which he has been dealing. The potential for the commanders to be without both Curtis Samuel and Jahan Dodson is uh, rather concerning. Uh, I assumed that Jahan would be out with the hamstring injury. I did not think that Curtis might be out due to illness, but I guess now you have to wonder maybe he will be out. Uh, And if both of those guys are out, that presumably will meet a lot more of receivers Cam Sims and De'Ami Brown, neither of whom has done much so far. Cam in the 2022 regular season has played on just 9.6% of the commander's offensive snaps. He has no receptions on three targets. diami in the 2022 regular season has played on just 12.3% of the commander's offensive snaps. He has one reception on four targets. Offensive coordinator Scott Turner on Thursday afternoon did his weekly post-practice press conference. Here was Scott on Cam Sims and De'Ami Brown.
3: Uh, I think that, go. you know, Cam and, and De'Ami, I mean, Cam's been here, you know, obviously since for, even before me, but as long as I've been here, got a lot of faith in Cam. Uh, De'Ami, you know, I thought De'Ami had a good camp um, and he'll be ready to go if we if we need him. Um, you know, we're, we'll see uh, on those guys. I'm not sure if we'll get, uh, I think we'll get one of them back. I don't know if we'll get them both back uh, for the game. Curtis is dealing with a little bit of an illness uh, in Jahan, but that's still a touch and go. We're not sure. Um, on those those guys but they're going to be close uh, for the game
1: all right not sure how much of that was gamesmanship by Scott Turner but yeah I would think that Curtis Samuel has a much better chance of playing against the Titans than Jahan Dotson does Uh, Jahan's hamstring injury was described by head coach Ron Rivera during his day after the game zoom press conference on Monday afternoon as potentially meaning that Jahan will be out for multiple games Uh, hopefully not but we'll see. Uh, For the Titans' defense, a number of players are banged up, including edge defender Bud Dupree. Uh, He, on Thursday, did not practice for a second consecutive day due to a hip injury. Uh, Also, safety Amani Hooker did not practice on Thursday, off having been limited on Wednesday. He's in concussion protocol. And linebacker Zach Cunningham on Thursday did not practice for a second consecutive day due to an elbow ailment. Uh, Well, the Commander's offense uh, has been terrible lately. Uh, The team over its last two games has totaled just 18 points. The Commander's through week four dead last in the NFL in yards per play for the 2022 regular season, 4.6. The Commander's through week four per Football Outsiders DVOA metric had the following rankings for the 2022 regular season, number 28 in total offense, number 27 in pass offense, number 27 in rushing offense. But help could be coming in the form of running back Brian Robinson Jr. Uh, Robinson on Thursday practiced for a second consecutive day off the Commanders on Wednesday morning, having officially designated Robinson to return to practice. He is on what is called the Reserve Non-Football Injury or Illness List, aka the NFI list. He was placed on that on September 1st off having been shot in a leg and hip in an incident in Washington, D.C. on August 28th. What officially happened on Wednesday morning was that the commander started a 21-day window within which the team can activate Robinson off the list and add him to the 53-man active roster. He still technically is on that NFI list. Scott Turner on Thursday afternoon on what Brian Robinson Jr. could mean for the commander's offense.
3: Yeah, I mean, he's a, good, he's a good player, really good back. I mean, you guys were able to see what he can do uh, in the preseason or over the summer during training camp. Uh, we're excited to get him back. You know, the, the trainers and the doctors will make the decision on, you know, when he is actually able to, to play. You know, that might be this Sunday. We're still kind of waiting and seeing him. He's looked great uh, at practice. Um, you know, he's not going to come in and just carry the ball 30 times. Like, obviously, you know, and I mean, it's his first time ever playing in the NFL, too. I mean, he's a rookie, so um, there's going to be, you know, a period of kind of, you know, getting him going. Uh, But I think we're all excited. I mean, we're really excited about the personal aspect of the story, Um, just such an amazing thing for him to come back um, after what he's been through. Uh, But as a player, you know, he's going to give us some juice and that physical presence and just a good all-around back.
1: Yeah. Regarding the physical presence of Brian Robinson Jr. So the commanders took Robinson in the third round of the 2022 NFL draft out of Alabama. Robinson played at Alabama for five seasons, 2017 through 2021, but he did not become a starter for Bama until his 2021 redshirt senior season. But Robinson in that 2021 redshirt senior season at Bama for pro football focus had eight 191 yards after contact that ranked 12th in the FBS and had 79 missed tackles forced that ranked tied for sixth in the FBS. It feels like Brian Robinson Jr. is going to make his NFL regular season debut this Sunday afternoon. We shall see. What about the commanders offensive line? It very much feels like the commanders on Sunday afternoon will have a new starting right side of the offensive line with Cornelius Lucas at right tackle for the injured Sam Cosme and Sadiq Charles at right guard for the benched Trey Turner. Uh, Trey Turner started the loss at the Cowboys last Sunday afternoon, but he got benched in the first half. He ultimately played on just 15% of the commander's offensive snaps. Sadiq Charles played on 85% of the commander's offensive snaps. And Ron Rivera on Monday afternoon declared that Sadiq now is the commander's starting right guard. Scott Turner on Thursday afternoon on what Sadiq Charles brings at right guard.
3: You know, Sadiq brings some athleticism. Um, You know, I I don't know if you noticed him on some of those screens, you know, getting out, doing some some nice job on those. Um, He's a guy that, you know, he's played for us. Last year, he started uh, started three different spots, both guards and right tackle, and then he played some snaps at left tackle. So he's a versatile player. He can play guard and tackle. His deal is, you know, he's played and kind of played well for some spots and then he's had an injury or something that, something where he gets dinged up. So, uh, I anticipate, you know, he'll be able to stay healthy and he'll play well. I thought he did a nice job when he got in there, uh, for the most part, uh, against Dallas.
1: So the Redskins took Sadiq Charles in the fourth round of the 2020 NFL draft out of LSU. The concern with Sadiq was that he served two suspensions at LSU, a one-game suspension in 2018 and a six-game suspension in 2019. But if not for the character concerns, Sadiq may well have been a second or third-round pick. He in 2019 started nine games at left tackle for an LSU offensive line that was named the Joe Moore Award winner for the top offensive line in the nation, uh, Sadiq Charles in 2019 protected the blindside for Heisman Trophy winning quarterback Joe Burrow, who had what I think was the greatest season that any player has ever had in college football. But Sadiq, in the loss at the Cowboys this past Sunday afternoon, did commit one of the commanders of five Offensive line penalties. Five offensive line penalties in a game. Obviously, way too many. Scott Turner on Thursday afternoon on how to handle offensive line penalties.
3: No, yeah, you talk about that. I mean, you talk about being smart. You know, when it's holding, you know, keeping your hands inside. I mean, we had some issues where you know we had a double team and maybe one guy left too early. Now someone's left out to dry and they get a penalty hold, uh, called on them. So making sure that we're playing assignment football because a lot of it, a lot of that. Is what led to you know the penalties. Um, it's really just about knowing the details of your job and then making sure you're doing that play in and play out. Uh, and when you do that, you know you eliminate negative plays, you eliminate the penalties. Um, yeah, sometimes the defense is going to make a play, and we can live with that. But you know it's hard when you're doing it to yourself.
1: Yes, it is. Uh, The Commanders' offensive line so far this season has been a big disappointment. The Commanders, over their last three games, have allowed 16 sacks and 39 quarterback hits. And the recipient of all of that, of course, has been Carson Wentz, who, like the offensive line, needs to play better. Uh, Carson, through week four, just 25th out of 32 qualified NFL quarterbacks in ESPN's total QBR for the 2022 regular season, you can always email me, the Al podcast at yahoo.com. I got this email from Andy Wagner with a key question regarding Carson Wentz. Writes, Andy, Do you think that Carson Wentz has the ability slash freedom to change the play at the line of scrimmage? I've seen Cooper Rush and Jalen Hurts, both young quarterbacks, do that almost every series. I don't notice Carson making audibles. Do you? Thank you for the email, Andy. I have not noticed Carson calling audibles. Now that doesn't mean that he hasn't done that, but I really haven't noticed that. And it sure seemed that the commanders could have used some Carson Wentz audibles in the second half of the loss at the Cowboys. The commanders rushing offense in the first half at the Cowboys was great, but the rushing offense in the second half struggled. The Cowboys in the second half committed more to stopping the run, and on those plays on which the Cowboys went with stacked boxes, all the commanders seemingly needed was a Carson Wentz audible to check out a run and get to a pass for a potential big play. But instead, the commanders went with run, and they largely got stuffed in the second half. I mean, the numbers really were something. Running backs Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick, and Jonathan Williams in the first half of the loss at the Cowboys combined for 14 carries for 101 yards but Gibson, McKissick, and Williams in the second half combined for 12 carries for just 36 yards. That is one of the bigger discrepancies in a Washington game in recent history in terms of first half rushing versus second half rushing. Anyway, Scott Turner on Thursday afternoon did get asked about how much freedom Carson Wentz has to call audibles. Here was Scott's answer.
3: Uh, there's, you know, it's not not a lot. I mean, you know, we do have some plays where he can adjust. Um, not necessarily the play, but maybe he's adjusting protections. Uh, most of the time, you know, you know, we're getting the line. Um, you know, we're trying to run plays, you know, get get off fast. Uh, there wasn't a lot, you know, what I mean, him him changing the plays. We had some, uh, you know, we had some plays, you know, the, like just like any game that I'd like to have back. We had some get plays where we, you know, we had some missed assignments. Um, that that caused caused some negative issues or maybe caused like an over-exaggeration, which was a hold, you know, or a penalty, Um, stuff like that. But no, there wasn't anything where we thought we could have changed the play
1: outright. So Scott Turner admits that Carson Wentz does not have a lot of freedom for audibles. Uh, I'm sure that Scott has his reasons for not having Carson having a lot of freedom for audibles. But gee, this is Carson's seventh NFL season. He this season has a salary cap hit of $28.3 million. He is the commander's QB1. I don't know. I mean, (laughs) shouldn't he have ample freedom to call an audible if need be? And why exactly doesn't he have ample freedom? Is it because Carson isn't comfortable enough with the offense? Is it because Scott doesn't trust Carson? Like, why exactly is it that Carson Wentz can't do what so many other NFL quarterbacks do these days call audibles? when needed. I don't want to overreact to this, but this doesn't sound normal, right? Like this doesn't sound like the way that things should be. I have some questions off what we just heard from Scott Turner. Well, some questions for you. Have you had a hard time losing weight? Have you perhaps lost weight, but then the weight came right back? If the answer to either question is yes, Dr. Matthew Mintz can help you. Dr. Matthew Mintz is a board-certified internal medicine physician and weight loss expert in Bethesda, Maryland. Dr. Mintz understands your frustration because he himself has struggled with being overweight. You see, there's a reason that most weight loss programs fail, and that's because the human body has evolved over time to prevent you from losing weight. And while these mechanisms were protective hundreds of years ago, today, these mechanisms just make weight loss extremely difficult. The solution is medical weight loss. By using prescription medications that fight the factors that prevent weight loss, Dr. Matthew Mintz will help you achieve your weight loss goals. And not only will you lose the weight, but you'll keep the weight off. You see, Dr. Mintz does not use powders, shakes, or other special foods that you need to purchase. Instead, he uses prescription medications and personalized lifestyle changes, and he'll give you the support That you need to succeed. Dr. Matthew Mintz's medical weight loss program includes an initial in person comprehensive evaluation, blood work, and a customized weight loss plan, in person or virtual follow up visits to keep you on track, a full year of phone calls and emails to answer questions or troubleshoot problems, and one year of prescription medications for weight loss. The good news is that many, if not all of these things, will be covered by or reimbursable through your insurance. Dr. Matthew Mintz, he has been in practice for over 25 years. He serves as clinical faculty at the George Washington University School of Medicine, and he is consistently ranked as a top doctor by Washingtonian Magazine. He is a huge Commanders fan and a loyal listener of the Al Galdi podcast. If you are ready to lose your excess weight the right way, find out more about Dr. Matthew Mintz's medical weight loss program by calling 855 646 8963. That's 855-646-8963. And make sure that you tell Dr. Mintz that Al Galdi sent ya. you. can also visit drmintz.com. That's D-R-M-I-N-T-Z M-I-N-T-Z.com And click on Medical Weight Loss. That's 855-646-8963 or drmintz.com. And make sure that you tell Dr. Mintz that Al Galdi sent ya. So the Commanders on defense are looking pretty healthy in terms of active roster players for this Sunday afternoon's game against the Tennessee Titans at FedEx Field at 1. Safety Percy Butler on Thursday did not practice for a second consecutive day Due to a quadriceps ailment, linebacker Milo Eifler on Thursday did not practice for a second consecutive day due to a hamstring issue. Linebacker David Mayo on Thursday was a limited participant in practice for a second consecutive day due to a hamstring issue. But otherwise, every other active roster defensive player for the commanders practiced fully. On Thursday, Uh, corner William Jackson, the third and interior defensive lineman Daniel Wise have been on the injury report this week, but they have been listed as having been full participants in practice on both Wednesday and Thursday. Jackson has been dealing with a back issue. Wise has been dealing with a high ankle sprain, but each guy did play in the commanders last game, the 25-10 loss at the Dallas Cowboys this past Sunday afternoon, although Jackson didn't exactly kill it in that game, uh, including having three accepted penalties. Commander's Defensive Coordinator Jack Del Rio on Thursday afternoon did his weekly post-practice press conference. Here was Jack on William Jackson III's penalties.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. You to go through it, to, to try and explain it, I don't know. He's running, he's running well with the guys, um, really in position, and uh, just needs to be calm and go up either intercept it or knock it down. I think he's capable of doing either.
1: You know, William Jackson, the third in the twenty twenty one regular season, committed a team worst eight total penalties, seven of which were accepted penalties, and five of his eight total penalties were defensive pass interference penalties. Jackson, in a loss at the Cowboys, three accepted penalties, two pass interference penalties and a holding penalty. So Jackson, over 15 regular season games with Washington, has accumulated 11 total penalties, including seven defensive pass interference penalties. That is ridiculous, okay? That is unacceptable. William Jackson III has become a walking DPI. Washington on March 19th, 2021, officially signed William Jackson III as an unrestricted free agent, a three year, $40.5 million contract with $26 million in total guarantees. The deal has not worked out. Jackson in the 2021 regular season registered an overall grade for Pro Football Focus of just 59.3, PFF grades or on a scale of 0 to 100, and Jackson, over his three games in this 2022 regular season, has an overall grade for PFF of just 53.6. Now, he did play better as last season went on. Hopefully, he plays better as this season goes on, but right now, at this moment in time, the free agent signing of William Jackson the Third has been a bust. There's no other way to say it. Now, Jackson's comfort in the defense has been a major topic for a while. He had a season-ending Zoom press conference this past January 10th said that he, in the 2021 season, had been, quote, doing things that I had never done before, end quote. Jack Del Rio on Thursday afternoon was asked about Jackson's comfort in the defense.
2: We think, think, yeah, I I would say, um, overall, I think there is a greater comfort with where he is and what his responsibilities are right now. In year two, yeah.
1: All right. Would be nice to see that comfort translate into better play from William Jackson third. He is a talented guy. He should be better than this. Uh, that said, the commander's defense has been better over the last two games off its miserable performance in a 36-27 loss at the Detroit Lions in Week 2. A lot of that has been their run defense, which has been great in each of the last two games. Now, the Commanders still aren't giving up too many big passing plays. The Commanders, through week four, just 30th out of 32 NFL teams in pass defense for Football Outsiders DVOA metric for the 2022 regular season. But the Commanders' defense has been really good on third downs. The Commanders so far in the 2022 regular season have held opposing teams to a combined 17 of 55 on third downs, 30.9%. That is Excellent third down defense. Jack Del Rio on Thursday afternoon on where he feels the commander's defense is at. It's
2: a work in progress. You know, to me, it's, you know, focus your energy on, on game plan and going forward, all the things we need to dial in for this opponent coming up. Um, you know, when we have those in our rearview mirror, we've made our corrections, we've moved on. Um, you know, reflecting is not not really a part of it. You know, it's, it's more about, you know, going forward, keeping the pedal down, continuing to grow, have fun, make plays, have fun. That's what we're after.
1: Would be nice if the Commanders' defense made more plays. The Commanders in the 2022 regular season have generated just one takeaway. Yeah, just one takeaway. Safety Derek Forrest game-sealing fourth-quarter interception in the 28-22 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field in Week 1. That remains the Commanders' lone takeaway in the 2022 regular season. There are 32 teams in the NFL, 31 of the NFL's 32 teams. Each has at least three takeaways so far in the 2022 regular season. The Commanders, though, have one takeaway, but a positive for the Commanders has been their defensive line. Despite Some key guys being out. Edge defender Chase Young has yet to play this season as he remains on the reserve physically unable to perform list, recovering from his tort right ACL that he suffered last November. Uh, Interior defensive lineman Fadarian Mathis is on the reserve injured list due to a left knee injury, a reported torn left meniscus that he suffered in the first quarter of the win over the Jags. But the commanders through week four number eight in the NFL in team pass rush win rate for ESPN for the 2022 regular season. Jack Del Rio on Thursday afternoon on the Commander's Defensive Line.
2: Yeah, I think I think D-line's really doing a nice job. You know, they're, they're working hard. Uh, the the, the sacks and turnovers do come in bunches. Sometimes that, that bunch gets uh, taken away by penalties, uh, which obviously we need to correct. But um, no, I think I think they, they're working. They're doing a great job working and, and impacting the game. You know, both against the run and pressuring the quarterback.
1: Yeah, the commanders in the loss at the Cowboys had two interceptions that were negated by penalties. The Titans, through week four, per DVOA, number fourteen in the NFL in total offense, number nine in the NFL in passing offense, number twenty-two in the NFL in rushing offense. I bet that that surprises people. The difference between the Titans' passing offense DVOA and rushing offense DVOA, but running back Derrick Henry did get off to a slow start. The Titans have had some offensive line issues, and quarterback Ryan Tannehill, as much as people like to knock him, he threw week four, was number seven among all qualified NFL quarterbacks in yards per pass attempt for the 2022 regular season, 7.76. He's not dynamic, he's not great, but he is capable. Some injury items with the Titans offense to be aware of. Receiver Traylon Burks on Thursday did not practice for a second straight day due to a toe injury. Right guard Nate Davis on Thursday did not practice due to a knee issue. He was not listed on the Titans Wednesday injury report. And for much more on the Titans next segment, a welcome on longtime Titans insider Paul Kaharski of Outkick360 and paulkaharski.com. And among the things that we'll get into is a big mistake that Paul believes the Titans made this past offseason.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data
1: If you would like to sponsor the Al Galdi podcast, if you would like to advertise your business or practice on the pod and reach thousands of people every episode, if you would like to put the power of the pod to work for you, hit us up. The email address is thealgaldipodcast at yahoo.com. We continue to prepare for the one and three commanders against the two and two Tennessee Titans at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon at one. And time now to learn all that we need to know about the opposition. I'm very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast a man who knows the Titans as well as anyone, longtime Titans insider Paul Koharski of Outkick360 and paulkoharski.com. You can follow Paul on Twitter at Paul Koharski NFL. Paul, it's great to have you on the podcast. How are you?
4: I'm well. Thanks for
1: having me. So the Titans are 2-2, two and two, have won two consecutive games since an 0-2 start. The two losses, a 21-20 home loss to the New York Giants in Week 1 and a 41-7 loss at the Buffalo Bills on Monday Night Football in Week 2. The two wins, a 24-22 home win over the Las Vegas Raiders in Week 3 and a 24-17 win at the Indianapolis Colts in Week 4. What has gone well for the Titans over their last two games It wasn't going well over the first two games?
4: Well, uh, they ran into much lesser opponents, for starters. Um, been playing very good first-half offense, get enough points on the board then to hold on. They're, uh, they've scored seven points in the second half this year, so um, they really uh, struggle in the second half. They've had some bad injuries. Defensively against the Colts, they got three, uh, three turnovers. Uh, scored on two short fields, got 24 points in the first half, uh, held off the Colts. I really don't think the Colts are very good. I know nationally there's a love affair with them for some reason. Mike Vrabel's a far better col- uh, coach than Frank Reich. Uh, he's a far better coach than a lot of coaches in the league. Um, <clears throat> last year they went 12-5, uh, and five, won the division using 91 players. Um, as they worked through COVID and, and a lot of injuries. And uh, they're doing that again, not so much COVID, obviously, but um, banged up, lost Harold Landry, one of their best defensive players, a, a good pass rusher, and uh, more influential against the run. I think they're kind of figuring out how to uh, defend
1: the run without him. Running back Derek Henry, he did not look great over the Titans' first two games. He has looked better over the last two games. What has jumped out to you about him so far this season?
4: Well, he's a notorious slow starter, um, even in his his best years. So it's not a surprise he came out of the gate slow. People clearly wanted to see how he is on that repaired right foot that he had the Jones fracture in last year and got a a plate and some screws in there, returned for the playoff game, wasn't very good against Cincinnati. Um, You know, had his best game of the year against the Colts, but again, I think 99 of his... I think it was 117 yards, came in the first half. <clears throat> then he and they did some good work in four minutes at the end to kind of close it out. He's got an offensive line that's that's uh, kind of overhauled. Taylor Lewan out for the season again at left tackle. His ACL repair from a couple years ago, um, he's he's kind of admitted um, it didn't go well and it is a problem that needs to be redone. He may be finished for good. Um, and uh, they've got a new left tackle, an undersized guy, and Aaron Brewer, who replaced Roger Saffold, who was much bigger, and a rookie right tackle, and Nicholas Petit Frere uh, from Ohio State, who's holding his own. But that's a lot of turnover on a line <clears throat> that, uh, you know, at its best has keyed Derrick Henry running well and Ryan Tannehill being protected. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not a great group right now. The schedule's kind of, uh, helping them out, but, uh, they get much tougher. Um, they've got to buy after this trip to Washington and, uh, and then things get much more difficult.
1: Derrick Henry is such an interesting case study because in this time in which it's a big no-no to pay running backs big money, he's so good that you wonder if he's the exception. Uh, the Titans in July 2020 signed Henry to a big money contract extension. I know that they just before the start of this regular season reworked that contract. Would you say that Henry is proving worthy of that contract, or is this ultimately going to be yet another big money running back contract that an NFL team regrets? Well, they're
4: not on. They're not on the hook for too much of a guarantee that's left. And, um, he, so, I mean, they're kind of protected. They give him a $2 million bump heading into this year. They're still very Derek Henry centric, but, um, you know, he didn't really play a lot in his first two years. So I think when you look at the age, he's 29 now, um, you know, he's coming up to that 30 number that scares everybody. He doesn't have the wear and tear from the first two seasons where Um, DeMarco Murray and Deion Lewis were getting a lot of work in front of him. So I think that counts in his favor. Then he missed nine games last year. You know, you obviously don't want him hurt, but there's some wear and tear that he he didn't suffer. I think they're going to, you know, I don't think they're looking to um, monitor his carries or ease off to try to extend his career or anything. I think that they will use him as much as they can, as often as they need, and worry about later, later. And I will point out that last year when he was out for those nine games, uh, Deontay Foreman uh, now in Carolina, and Dontrell Hilliard, who's the third down back here, uh, you know, they didn't have the home run threat that Henry had, but the Titans ran very well. They ran very effectively without him the second half of last year, but uh, I think their intention is to continue to feed him, to get him going, to get that offensive line uh, to a point where it, it can help him. And he tends to get better as the season goes on and the weather gets cold.
1: This is year four for Ryan Tannehill as the Titans starting quarterback. How has he looked so far to you?
4: I mean, he's fine. Um, you, know, he, he's, you know, people want to pick him apart. He's at his best when Henry's running well and they can run play action off of that. People like to to pick him apart, I'd, I'd counter that with, you know, the Titans have a quarterback with a certain skill set, and they've built things around um, him being able to execute that skill set. Now, it's it's not Lamar Jackson's skill set, but nobody's killing Baltimore for, for building around Lamar Jackson's limitations. It's what you're supposed to do. Now, you know, to me, Tannehill's whole story doesn't get written until he's in a playoff game in January again which is where he's failed uh, you know, in his last three games with increasing magnitude. Last year, three interceptions just killed them in a game where they sacked Joe Burrow nine times and couldn't win at home as the number one seed. And, you know, uh, they're not going to be the number one seed again, so they're going to need to win four games. Um, they have a, a formula that playoff teams have tended to figure out. And can Ryan Tannehill lead them to four playoff wins? To, for on a Super Bowl run? I, I think the answer is pretty clearly no, unless things change
1: in a miraculous way. And that's where the Titans are kind of stuck. We're talking Commander's Titans with Titans insider Paul Koharski of Outkick360 and paulkaharski.com. So the Titans took quarterback Malik Willis in the third round of the 2022 NFL Draft, do the Titans view Willis as their starting quarterback in the future, or do they view him more as a project?
4: I, I think it's too early to say. I mean, obviously, the hope was, hey, here's a guy we've got graded as a, as a real value in the third round. Let's bring him in and see. Uh, you know, He's going to be in the background this year unless Tannehill gets hurt. I think if he was forced to play, uh, they'd be in trouble. He, he did mop-up work at Buffalo as early as the third quarter because they were getting destroyed. Um, you know, he didn't look very good. And, uh, you know, it's a long jump from, from what he was doing at Liberty where he, he wasn't reading the field much and he was counting on running around. Um, I'm sure they're working hard with him in the background, and they'll face a decision. You know, if they can get out of Tannehill's contract for $18 million and save about that much after this season if they feel like malik willis can be a starter that they can build around maybe we'll see that i think you know Tannehill. if everybody seems to think his future is in the balance i'm not so sure they feel that way but i mean there are still a lot of variables to be determined
1: one of the biggest trades of the NFL offseason, of course, was the Titans trading receiver A.J. Brown to the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, was that a Paul Koharski-endorsed trade, uh, or was that a mistake by the Titans, in your opinion? No,
4: I hated the trade. I mean, this team has been a black hole at wide receiver. I started covering them there last year in Houston, 1996. and They drafted one, like very effective wide receiver in that whole time, Derek Mason, who was still drafted when they were the Oilers. They, they've been a, a wide receiver wasteland. They finally draft A.J. Brown, who's an explosive, dynamic guy, who's a perfect complement to this Derek Henry-centered offense that we've been talking about. Uh, things get a little sticky, and, uh, and they decide, you know, we're bigger than this we're going to trade him and we'll just draft Traylon Burks and and proceed from there. Traylon Burks isn't ready to be that guy. Now he's he's, uh, hurt with turf toe. They don't have any kind of dynamic receiving weapon. McLaurin waited it out and it worked out. Debo Samuel waited it out and it worked out. Uh, Metcalf waited it out and it worked out. They didn't Assume control of their situations the way the Titans let AJ Brown assume control of his situation. I think they panicked because the guy was going to be squeaky, uh, noisy, and uh, you know their culture doesn't have room for that. But they should have been more patient and, and tried to figure out a way for things to, to, to work. Um, the guy was a very, very unique player. You're seeing what he's going to do in Philadelphia here, and the, and the Titans played the wrong side of this thing and even if Traylon Burks becomes some some kind of version of AJ Brown it's going to take time and they could have still maybe been in some sort of window but it sure doesn't feel like they're in that window now.
1: You've talked about the Titans defense a little bit the defense has been mixed so far this season ultimately do you see this 2022 Titans defense being another good defense for the team?
4: Well, the secondary's got to come to life. Uh, Caleb Farley—they've they, had some really bad drafts and some really bad high picks. Isaiah Wilson from a couple of years ago played four snaps and busted in one year. He was supposed to be the right tackle, The next year, second round, they drafted Dylan Radens to make up for the Isaiah Wilson mistake, and and he uh, he's a backup guard. And these are these are picks they could have used to fortify. Things like the defense. Caleb Farley, last year's number one, is a bit player in the secondary who's who's struggling. Um, the secondary cornerbacks, in particular, are are not as good as we anticipated, and so that defensive front needs to get to the quarterback in order to buy the that not have the secondary have to last very long. And then you're down. Landry, Bud Dupree looks unlikely to play. Uh, this week with a hip injury, they're piecing together things up front. But Mike Vrabel has a way of getting production. You know, Dupree played eight snaps in Indianapolis and they still came up with uh, three sacks and three turnovers. So they have the capacity to, to make plays, but the personnel isn't uh, as good as anticipated coming into the season between injuries and
2: underachievement.
1: Bigger picture question for you. So we here in the Washington, D.C. area spend a lot of time talking about the bigger picture with the commanders, with the franchise having been so bad for so long. The Titans entering this season have had six consecutive winning regular seasons, including two straight 11 win regular seasons. I know that the Titans haven't had the success in the postseason season that people have wanted. But overall, the state of Titans football with head coach Mike Vrabel and executive vice president and general manager John Robinson. Uh, is that state a good state? Seems to be from afar, but what say you?
4: It's in a good place. I mean, you go back uh, before Mike Malarkey, you know, Ken Wisenhunt was a disaster and they were, you know, worse than the commanders. But, um, you know, they've gotten to a steady but they haven't broken through in the playoffs. They went in 2019 to the AFC Championship game in Kansas City on a surprising run, um, and and the feeling is they that, that opened the window, and then they had two first uh, two first game losses to Baltimore in a, a wild card round, and then the number one seed last year was set up. Everything was perfect for them. I had Cincinnati here. And if they won that, they would have hosted the AFC Championship game. So they've underachieved in a window where they should have contended for a Super Bowl. And now it feels like uh, that window has closed. Um, And I think it's fair to look at it that way. They just got blown out by Buffalo, who they beat the two years prior. Um, And it doesn't feel like they're in a class with Buffalo and Kansas City, who they're playing coming up. Or even you know Cincinnati and, and Miami if Tua recovers and they they keep doing what they're doing, I think uh, they could win the division, which would get them a home game again because the division is poor. But uh, I just don't think they're they're on equal footing with those other high class AFC playoff teams. And so you know you could look at them and say, hey, they're a consistent playoff contending team which is certainly better than what they were for a long stretch. But you can look at it and say, what have they
1: made of that? And the answer is uh, not, not enough. All right. Longtime Titans insider Paul Kaharski of Outkick360 and paulkaharski.com. Paul, much respect to you and all the best. Thank you for your time. Thanks. Look forward to being up there this weekend. The one and three commanders host the two and two Tennessee Titans this Sunday afternoon at one. Do you remember what happened the last time that Washington played the Titans at FedEx Field? October 19th, 2014. A 1917 Redskins win. Quarterback Colt McCoy came in for a benched Kirk Cousins, and Colt, on his very first pass attempt of the game, a third quarter 70 yard touchdown pass to receiver Pierre Garçon. Well, how does Washington notch another win over the Titans? My friends, it is that time. The time to rhyme. It is time for rhyming keys. My keys to a commander's victory in rhyming fashion. Now understand, uh, these rhymes, they are not meant to be good. They are only meant to make a few points. And In fact, I have a saying for this segment. The worse the rhyme, the better. The time. And so here we go. Hardcore analysis combined with scheduled fun rhyming keys for a commander's win over the Titans. How do the commanders win this game? And boy, do the commanders need to win this game. We now rhyme the path to victory. Rhyming key number one. This is for the commander's defense. You must be barbaric in trying. To stop Derek, there is no NFL offense that's more reliant on its number one running back than the Titans offense is. For those of you who like old school ground and pound football, uh, the Titans offense is it. Derek Henry is a true RB1. The Titans passing game with quarterback Ryan Tannehill is predicated on play action. The Titans, especially since they traded receiver A.J. Brown to the Philadelphia Eagles this past April 28th, have Henry as the top skill position player on the team. The Titans offense is a running back centric offense. And so if the commanders stop Derrick Henry or contain Derrick Henry or limit Derrick Henry this Sunday afternoon well that'll go a long way toward a commander's win uh this was commander's defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio during his post-practice press conference on Thursday afternoon on Derrick Henry
2: the guy is really big really fast and talented you know understands how to run uh how to set up blocks so um don't want to make it out to be more than it is you know there are a lot of talented running backs in the league but he's certainly you know right up there with with the best in our, in, in our game, and so it's going to be a big challenge.
1: You know, for all of the negatives for the Commanders over their last two games, and there certainly have been many negatives, a major positive has been the team's run defense. The Commanders' run defense over their first two regular season games was not good, but the Commanders' run defense over the last two games has been terrific. The 24-8 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field in Week 3. The Commanders held the Eagles to just 72 yards on 30 carries. That works out to just 2.4 yards per carry. The 25-10 loss at the Dallas Cowboys in Week 4. The Commanders held Cowboys running backs Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard to a combined 27 carries for 55 yards, 2.04 yards per carry. The Commanders through week four were number six in the NFL in run defense per Football Outsiders DVOA metric for the 2022 regular season. Now, Derrick Henry has gotten going in recent weeks. He, during the Titans' 0-2 start to the 2022 regular season, had very underwhelming numbers. But Henry, over the Titans' last two games, which are two wins, 42 carries for 199 yards and two touchdowns and eight receptions for 91 yards on 11 targets. He is a bruising, punishing back. He is not easy to tackle, but I'd like to think that the commanders, especially with their defensive line, are up to this task. And so rhyming key number one, this for the commander's defense, you must be barbaric in trying to stop Derek. Rhyming Key for Commanders-Titans number two. This is for Commanders-Receivers. Do all that you can to get off press man. The Commanders passing offense over the team's last two games has been horrendous. We all know that. We have talked a lot about that. We know that the offensive line has been quite bad this season, especially in terms of pass protection. We know that quarterback... Carson Wentz has played very poorly in each of the last two games. But what's also true, though isn't getting a lot of attention, is that commander's receivers aren't separating. ESPN has just come out with what are called receiver tracking metrics. Uh, Receiver tracking metrics use player tracking data from the NFL's next-gen stats to analyze every route run, including those that do not result in targets, and assess receiver performance in three distinct phases, getting open, contesting, and making catches, and generating yards after the catch. Uh, These three components also are blended to create an overall receiving metric. Well, one of the receiver tracking metrics is called open score. For every route run, open score assesses the likelihood that a receiver would be able to complete a catch conditional on if he was targeted. A receiver's openness is compared to the typical receiver's openness given the route coverage and depth. Well, how about this? Through week four, three of the bottom 10 qualified receivers in the NFL in open score for the 2022 regular season were commander's receivers. Yeah, Terry McLaurin was ranked 78th, and Curtis Samuel and Jahan Dodson were part of a three-way tie for dead last at 85th. As much as we were all raving about Terry, Curtis, and Jahan off their performances over weeks one and two, the truth is that things have calmed down big time for those guys over the last two games, and the Cowboys secondary especially had its way with those receivers this past Sunday afternoon. Cowboys corner Trayvon Diggs put Terry McLaurin on lock. And I don't like saying that, but it's true. And one of the areas in which the receivers are struggling is against tight press man coverage, Jahan Dodson especially. Now look, it doesn't look like Jahan uh, will be playing against the Titans this Sunday afternoon due to a hamstring injury, but that's not the point. Yes, the commander's offensive line needs to be better. Yes, Carson Wentz needs to be better, but also, yes, the receivers have to be better in getting open. The receivers have got to do a better job of getting open, and so rhyming key number two, this for Commanders receivers, do all that you can to get off press man. Rhyming key for Commanders Titans number three, this is for the entire Commanders team. There's no guarantee against Tennessee, but avoiding the penalty could lead to victory. (laughs) Was anything from the commander's loss at the Cowboys last Sunday afternoon more maddening than the 11 accepted penalties? 11 accepted penalties for 136 yards, unacceptable totals. Uh, We had two intentional grounding penalties on Carson Wentz, We had five accepted penalties by the commander's offensive line. We had four accepted penalties by the commander's secondary. It is hard enough for the commanders to win when they play a clean game. When they play a messy, sloppy game, forget about it. And consider how the offensive line penalties last Sunday afternoon just ruined drives. Commander's second offensive drive resulted in a first quarter three and out. Second snap of the drive center, Nick Morton, a second and six. 10-yard holding penalty. Uh, the commander's seventh offensive drive resulted in a third-quarter three-and-out. Second snap of that drive, right guard Sadiq Charles, a second-and-11 10-yard holding penalty on a snap that nearly resulted in a Carson Wentz interception to Trayvon Diggs. Third snap of the drive, right tackle Samuel Cosme, a second-and-21 five-yard false start penalty. Now, Cosme is not expected to play against the Titans due to this reported thumb surgery that he just underwent. The good news is that the commander's top backup offensive tackle, Cornelius Lucas, has been exceptional at not committing penalties. How about this? Lucas in the 2021 regular season played on 587. Of Washington's offensive snaps and yet committed just one penalty. Lucas in the 2020 regular season played on 536 of Washington's offensive snaps and yet committed just one penalty. Rhyming key number three, this for the entire commanders team. There's no guarantee against Tennessee, but avoiding the penalty could lead to victory. And one more. It is number four. Rhyming key for Commanders Titans number four. This is for the entire Commanders team. Momentum heightens if you beat the Titans. So, Sunday afternoon's game against the Titans is the first of two games for the Commanders in a five day stretch home to the Titans this Sunday afternoon, then at the Chicago Bears this Thursday night. The Commanders are one and three. I know. That this sounds crazy, but if somehow some way the commanders win both of these games, stop laughing. If somehow, some way, the commanders win both of these games, the season, just like that in the blink of an eye, is back on track. Now, obviously, the commanders could lose both of these games and be one in five in the blink of an eye. But do you remember the specifics of the Redskins great turnaround in the 2012 regular season the skins in the 2012 regular season won their final seven games to go from three and six to 10 and six that run started with two wins in five days a 31-6 blowout of the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field on November 18 2012 and then a 38-31 win at the Dallas Cowboys on Thanksgiving 2012. In a span of five days, the Skins went from three and six to five and six, and the surge was on. I'm not saying that the 2022 Commanders are the 2012 Redskins. What I am saying is that two games in five days is an opportunity for two wins in five days. The Commanders need to seize this opportunity. The Commanders need to grab this opportunity and squeeze it by the throat. And as much as it feels like the Commanders 2022 season is lost, the season is not lost. The season may well be hanging in the balance, but the season is not lost. Not yet. Rhyming key number four, this for the entire Commanders team, momentum heightens if you beat the Titans. All right, it is prediction time. The Commanders per win bet as of very early Friday morning are plus two. The public is heavily on the Titans, and yet, very interestingly, the line for this game has come down. The Commanders just a few days ago were plus three in multiple shops, but the Commanders now are at plus two per win bet. Uh, We call this reverse line movement. This is an indication of sharp money on the commanders, the public being heavily on the titans, and yet the line moving in a direction that encourages you to bet on the titans. Why does this happen? Because sharp money is coming in on the commanders. Believe it or not, the movers and shakers, the movas and the shakers in Las Vegas are putting their money on the commanders. I have picked the Commanders in each of the last two weeks and been dead wrong. But here I go again. (laughs) Give me the Commanders plus the two. Final score, Commanders 23, Titans 21, running back Brian Robinson Jr., two touchdown runs. all right let us now get to college football let us now get to Goldilocks my previews and picks against the spreads for games played by Maryland Navy Virginia Tech and Virginia Goldilocks for week five of the 2022 college football season went four and oh yes four and oh I for whatever reason am having a high variance season two oh and four weeks but also a three and one week. And now a 4-0 and o week. I have been all over the place. I'm like the Carson Wentz of college football handicappers. You never know what you're going to get. Uh, the record for the season now is 8-11. and 11. So here we go. Goldilocks for week six of the 2022 college football season. All point spreads are from Winbed and are as of very early Friday morning. Goldilocks, game number one, Maryland, home to Purdue, Saturday at noon, the Terrapins are minus three. The Terps improved to 4-1 overall and 1-1 one and one in the Big Ten with a 27-13 win over Michigan State at the newly renamed CQ Stadium in College Park, Maryland last Saturday. Terps led at the half 21-13, then won the second half 6-0. Quarterback Talia Tungavailoa, very nice game, 32-41 of for 314 yards, a touchdown, had no interceptions. He took just one sack. He officially had four carries for 18 yards. Talia did all of this off his brother Miami Dolphins quarterback Tua Tungavailoa having been carted off the field on a stretcher due to a concussion in that 27-15 loss at the Cincinnati Bengals now two Thursday nights ago. uh, Talia through week five number 23 among all qualified quarterbacks in the FBS and ESPN's total QBR for the 2022 season. Running back Antoine Littleton II, 19 carries for 120 yards and a touchdown. He averaged 6.32 yards per carry, and the Terps' defense was mostly good. The Terps held Michigan State to just 13 points, held Michigan State quarterback Peyton Thorne to just 221 yards on 44 pass attempts. That works out to a yards per pass attempt of just 5.02. Now, the Terps did allow Michigan State to go 7-14 on third downs, and the Terps' did Allow Michigan State running backs Elijah Collins, Jalen Berger, and Jarek Broussard to combine for 17 carries for 86 yards and a touchdown, 5.06 yards per carry. But Maryland has itself a team. The Terps through week five were number 19 in the FBS in overall team efficiency for ESPN for this season and were number 15 in the FBS in offensive efficiency for ESPN. For this season, the Boilermakers of Purdue are 3 and 2, but are coming off a big win, a 2010 win at then number 21 Minnesota last Saturday. There's nothing really special about Purdue. It's just a solid team. The Boilermakers through week five, number 30 in the FBS in offensive efficiency for ESPN for this season, and number 32 in the FBS in defensive efficiency for ESPN. For this season, their starting quarterback, Aiden O'Connell, is only averaging 6.9 yards per pass attempt, but he through week five was number 15 among all qualified quarterbacks in the FBS and ESPN's total QBR for this season. Uh, their top running back, Devin Maccabee is averaging 6.7 yards per carry over 37 carries. We have had reverse line movement for this game. The public is heavily on Maryland, but the Terps have gone from being minus five in multiple shops just a few days ago to now minus three in multiple shops. So public heavily on the Terps, and yet the movement of the line encourages you to bet further on the Terps. Uh, That's an indication of sharp money on Purdue. And so give me the Boilermakers plus three. Make money, money, make money, money, money. Thank you, Snoop Dogg. Goldilocks game number two, Virginia Tech at Pitt. Saturday afternoon at 3.30. The Hokies are plus 14 and a half. Tech is reeling right now. It fell to 2-3 and three overall and 1-1 one and one in the ACC with a 41-10 loss at North Carolina last Saturday. This off a 33-10 loss to West Virginia at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg, Virginia on September 22nd. How about this? This two-game stretch marks the first time since October 1989 that Tech has scored 10 points or less In each of two consecutive games, Uh, the Hokies struggled offensively against even the North Carolina defense. Understand that the Tar Heels through Week Four were number 124 in the FBS in defensive efficiency per ESPN for this season. Uh, The Hokies' starting quarterback, Marshall transfer Grant Wells, was not good yet again. 16 to 26 for just 139 yards, no touchdowns, and an interception. He did take no sacks. He had six carries for 17 yards. And a touchdown, but the numbers for Wells this season are really rough. Grant Wells, through five games this season, has a yards per pass attempt of just 6.26 and five touchdown passes versus six interceptions. Uh, The Hokies' rushing offense again was disappointing. Running back Keyshawn King. Did have nine carries for 52 yards, but running backs Chance Black, Bryce Duke, and Jalen Holston combined for 17 carries for just 42 yards. 2.47 yards per carry. Running back Malachi Thomas remained out due to injury. Uh, But bad passing offense, bad rushing offense. The Hokies through week five were 116th in the FBS in offensive efficiency per ESPN for this season. And then there was Tech's defense, which statistically had not been bad so far this season, but Tech got shredded by North Carolina quarterback Drake May, 26-36 for 363 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. Tech registered no sacks, and Tech allowed May to have 13 carries for 73 yards, and two touchdowns. So what about Pitt? Uh, well, the Panthers are 3-2, and two, are coming off a 26-21 home loss to Georgia Tech last Saturday. Uh, Pitt has been pretty bad offensively, but it does have running back Israel Abanakanda, who has 510 rushing yards and is averaging 5.5 yards per carry. And Pitt has been pretty good defensively. The Panthers, through Week 5, were number 33 in the FBS in defensive efficiency per ESPN this season uh, the public is heavily on Virginia Tech I don't trust the Hokies at all okay let me make that clear but 14 and a half that's a big number uh Pitt really isn't that good and has been quite bad on special teams so far this season and so I will take Virginia Tech reluctantly but I will take Virginia Tech plus the 14 and a half
2: make money money make money money money.
1: Goldilocks game number three, Virginia home to Louisville Saturday at noon. The Cavaliers are plus three. This is their homecoming game. Uh The Cavs fell to two and three overall and zero and two in the ACC with a 38-17 loss at Duke last Saturday night. Quarterback Brennan Armstrong, another bad game Despite head coach Tony Elliott during his post-game press conference being complimentary of Armstrong, but Armstrong completed just 19 of his 37 pass attempts. His completion percentage for this season over five games is a mere 51.98. Armstrong, over his 37 pass attempts, threw for just 202 yards. His yards per pass attempt for this season over five games is just five. Point nine three. Armstrong had one touchdown pass versus one interception. He for this season over five games has just four touchdown passes versus five interceptions. Armstrong did only take one sack. Did have eight carries for 41 yards and a touchdown. But think about this. Almost exactly one year ago, October 9th, 2021, Virginia won at Louisville 34-33. The Cavs in that game overcame a 30-13 Fourth quarter deficit. They won that fourth quarter 21 3. And Brennan Armstrong was a monster in that fourth quarter, during which he went 14 of 20. For 183 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions, and took one sack. Armstrong for the game, 40 of 60 for 487 yards, three touchdowns, and two interceptions, and took five sacks. Uh, Both of the interceptions came in the third quarter. Look, he wasn't perfect in this game, but his 487 passing yards were the second most in a game in school history. This is the Brennan Armstrong who I have been dying to see this season. A dynamic Brennan Armstrong, a playmaking Brennan Armstrong. And we're not seeing that Brennan Armstrong. And personally, I think that he's being shackled by new head coach Tony Elliott and his offense. Let Brennan Armstrong cook, please. Uh, The Wahoos rushing offense in the loss at Duke was pretty good, but it could only be used so much given the nature of the game. Here's the bottom line. The Whos through week five were 99th. In the FBS... In offensive efficiency for ESPN for this season. Uh, the Who's defense in the loss at Duke was mixed. The Who's did hold Duke quarterback Riley Leonard to just 129 yards over 24 pass attempts. That works out to a yards per pass attempt to just 5.38, but the Who's allowed him to have nine carries for 59 yards and two touchdowns. Yeah, the Who's got run on big time in this game. They allowed running backs Jalen Coleman, Jacques Moore, and Jordan Waters to combine for 35 carries for 197 yards and two touchdowns. 5.63 yards per carry. And look, the Who's gave up 38 points in this game. Who's also had six accepted penalties for 87 yards. Tony Elliott, during his post-game press conference, very angry about the penalties. Virginia has had a penalty problem. Virginia, in its previous game prior to this loss at Duke, the 22-20 loss at Syracuse on September 23rd, 12 accepted penalties for 105 yards. The Louisville Cardinals, they are two and three, coming off a 34-33 loss at Boston College last Saturday. Louisville really isn't that good, but it does have a dual-threat quarterback in Malik Cunningham, who this season has 457 rushing yards and nine rushing touchdowns and is averaging 6.4 yards per carry. He only has three touchdown passes versus three interceptions. He's only averaging 7.2 yards per pass attempt, but Malik Cunningham can burn you with his legs. Cunningham through week five was number 29 among all qualified quarterbacks in the FBS and ESPN's total QBR for this season. Uh, UVA's defense this season is has been so-so. The offense has been UVA's biggest problem, especially the passing game. The public is pounding Louisville, but we, very interestingly, have had reverse line movement for this game. Uh, The public all over Louisville, and yet the line for this game has moved toward enticing you to bet Louisville. Uh, UVA earlier this week was plus four and a half, In multiple shops. Now UVA is at plus three in multiple shops. Indication of sharp money on Virginia, if you can believe that. Uh, And so give me Wahoo Wah plus three.
2: Make money, money, make money, money, money.
1: And Goldilocks game number four, Navy, home to Tulsa. Saturday afternoon at 3:30 the Midshipmen are plus 6. Navy fell to 1 and 3 overall with a 13-10 loss at Air Force last Saturday afternoon. The game ended up being a lot closer than the point spreads for the game suggested. I had Navy at plus 14, but this still was a third loss in four games for Navy this season. The Mids lost the first quarter 10-0, did then win the rest of the game 10-3. Navy's offense continued to struggle. The Mids scored just 10 points. You know, Navy over four games this season has scored a total of just 53 points and six of the points or overtime points. So the Mids went just 4-13 on third downs. The Mids' rushing offense continued to not be good. Navy totaled 36 carries for just 114 yards and a touchdown, 3.17 Yards per carry. Uh, quarterback Ty Lawitai, 12 carries, just 34 yards and a touchdown. He went 11 to 20 passing for a buck 29. No touchdowns and no interceptions. He took one sack. Navy through week five was 121st in the FBS in offensive efficiency for ESPN this season. Uh, Now Navy's defense in the loss at Air Force overall was good. The Mids held Air Force to just 13 points and to just 3 of 11 on third downs. Uh, Two of Air Force's third down conversions uh, were big conversions, but still Navy's defense overall I thought did a nice job on Air Force. Held Air Force to 200 total net rushing yards and to 4.26 yards per carry. Understand Air Force through week four was number one in the FBS by miles in rushing yards per game for this season at 412.2 and was number three in the FBS in yards per carry for this season at 6.68. The Golden Hurricane of Tulsa just two and three has lost two straight, a 35-27 loss at then number 16 Ole Miss on September 24th and a 31-21 home loss to Cincinnati last Saturday. Uh, Tulsa quarterback Davis Brin this season has only completed 60.1% of his passes, but he does have 12 touchdown passes versus three interceptions, and he does have a yards per pass attempt of 9.3. The public is heavily on Tulsa. Navy has been better over its last two games, including the 23-20 double overtime win at East Carolina on September 24th, but the Mids offense is really bad, and so I will take Tulsa and lay the six
2: make money money make
1: money 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 all right snoop so to review purdue plus three virginia tech plus 14 and a half virginia plus three and tulsa minus six hold on tight we are riding both the hokies and the cavaliers this week but such is life your goldilocks for week six of the 2022 college football season, and also on Saturday, Liberty at UMass Saturday afternoon at 3.30, and James Madison at Arkansas State Saturday night at 7. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Algaldi. You can email me the Algaldi Podcast at Yahoo.com. Monday show, episode four hundred and seventeen, will feature in-depth reaction to and analysis of whatever goes down with the Commanders in their game against the Tennessee Titans at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon at 1. I'll talk college football as well. Maryland home to Purdue Saturday at noon, Virginia Tech at Pitt Saturday afternoon at 3.30, Virginia home to Louisville Saturday at noon, and Navy home to Tulsa Saturday afternoon at 3.30. Have a great rest of your Friday, have a great Saturday and Sunday, and I'll talk to you on Monday. And we always want to know one yeah. thing, what what's cause all of all this? Yeah.